Oh, hello, boys and girls. Welcome to the Blind Buy Podcast. I'm up very late recording this because I've been a busy boy. As you know, I'm getting into live streaming. I've been doing some live streaming all week on twitch.tv forward slash the Blind Buy Podcast. Not proper live streaming. I've been testing the stream, which means I've been going online at unannounced times and fucking up in real time. I've uh, some issues with my microphone, some issues with, issues with my camera, and I'm going live with shit audio and shit visual, and letting the people who are watching know I'm just here testing, and it's actually it's been it's actually been fun because what I found with Twitch it's a hugely supportive, positive community. There's no negativity there. People were helping me with my technical problems, quite happy to just chill out and understand. Blind boy is new to this. He's trying to iron out some issues, and that's okay. And we'll help him if we can. So very positive. I was on it three times this week, and I'm getting closer and closer to announcing a streaming schedule and getting down to creativity, getting down to making music live, playing video games live, just chatting live, chatting with whoever's talking. I'm getting close to that, but I gotta iron out the gotta iron out the technical issues. What I want is to sit down at my computer, camera pointing at me, microphone on, I wanna press one button and I wanna stream. And then I can focus solely on the creative content and getting into a state of flow rather than worrying about audio issues. Why am I live streaming? Uh because it, it it's a radical new opportunity because of adva- advances in, te- in technology where you can now create art in the moment with audience participation which is over a digital platform it's unprecedented and I just find it incredibly exciting as an opportunity because it's like here's a medium that's brand new so any, if you participate in a medium that's brand new you're, you're therefore at the forefront as an artist so I'm looking forward to that. As well, I've been planning on doing it for fucking ages. Coronavirus came along. I'm a performer. Can't do live gigs now for God knows when. But I operate on the attitude of if something bad happens that's outside of my control, I accept it. And once I accept it, I go, where's the opportunity? Where's the opportunity to do something new, to shake things up? And that's what this is. I'm moving into live streaming because there's an opportunity to earn an income from it too and not worry about the fact that I can't do live gigs. So that's what I've been at. So I'm a tired boy. This week's podcast is a hot take art podcast, which I'm really looking forward to doing. I love doing art podcasts. I love having the opportunity to speak about something I'm very passionate about and I know from feedback from ye ye very much enjoy art podcasts too because art isn't something that's spoken about its importance isn't spoken about and I try my best to democratise it especially the highfalutin difficult art so here we go um, before I get into it actually a couple of weeks ago I had a podcast called Quantum Quarantino where I had Dr Michael Brooks on to talk about quantum physics he did an excellent job of democratising science and talking about some really complex quantum physics shit. 
and I forgot to plug his podcast. He has a podcast called Science-ish, which you can listen to on all the different podcast platforms where he speaks about science every week and democratizes it. So give that a listen. So this week's podcast, I don't want to call it a part two because it's not really, it's, it's more of a companion podcast. I did a podcast about four weeks ago and the name of the podcast is Forgotten Pottage. And in this podcast, I did a 20th century history of avant-garde participatory art. What I spoke about was how Soviet Soviet uh, art of the Russian Revolution and art belonging to the Italian fascism, right? So the Russian Revolution, Revolution, communism, right? Circa 1917 onwards and Italian futurism, which would be fascism, how artistic movements emerged whereby they had specific political aims and to take it to the Russian Revolution uh, type of participatory art, the aim of the radical avant-garde art was to remove the concept of art is a painting, art is a sculpture, to remove this concept of art as an object that an artist makes and it's on a gallery and then there's a, a line between the piece of art and then the observer of the art. Soviet art critiqued that model. Soviet art believed that a painting on a wall that a, a brilliant, talented painter made which is completely separate and above the observers who kind of compete to bid for its brilliance that this was merely a model of hierarchical capitalism and it served to reinforce the idea of some people are really rich at the top and some people are really poor at the bottom and that's how things have to be Soviet art challenged that they wanted to strip that away by blurring the line between art and audience and encouraging the audience to participate in the art and Soviet artistic endeavors believed that and this was this was explicitly political and it was government run that if you could get the public to engage in like mass acts of theater where there's you know fuck paintings fuck sculptures there's no more object art instead everyone participates in this big piece of theater and the art becomes the act of participation. The goal of this was, it was a way to condition a society into collectivistic communist thinking. It was a way, it was a, a radical concept-based, narrative, story-based way to change how a population thinks about themselves and their role in society. They viewed the gallery system or paintings that were in churches as a form of propaganda that reinforces hierarchies. Talented art on the wall, don't go near it, it's godlike. You're a piece of shit who can only observe it and if you're lucky you can buy it. They wanted to strip that down because they viewed it as propaganda that reinforced capitalist hierarchies. Get everyone participating and then you condition the society towards we are all equal, we're all in this together and this is about the state. It's not about rich people versus poor people. It's about everyone for the state. And that was the 
the noble and avant-garde intention of Soviet participatory art. If that sounded um, a bit brief and complex and confusing, it was. Uh, I I did a podcast called Forgotten Pottage about four co- podcasts back where I went into that subject matter in, in great detail and tried to explain it in much simpler terms than that. So that's a, a brief synopsis of something that took me an hour to explain in simpler terms. So go back and listen. So this week's podcast is going to be about American abstract expressionist art of the 1950s, which I believe to be the antithesis, the direct opposite, politically also, of this Soviet participatory art which strived to challenge and remove hierarchical structures of power. So, firstly, what is abstract expressionist art because I'm aware that this is a podcast it's audio I can't show you any visuals if you want to pause and get a look at some abstract expressionist painters uh, Franz Klein Robert Motherwell Georgia O'Keeffe Jackson Pollock abstract expressionist art is if you're someone who who isn't mad into art or painting, abstract expressionist painting is most likely the one that would make you very annoyed and frustrated and pissed off. Abstract expressionist painting is the one whereby when you walk, if you were to walk into a gallery and see it, you would look at this giant painting that looks like splatters of paint on a canvas and you might say to yourself, how the fuck and why is that art? Anyone can do that. Oh my God, it's worth 60 million quid. What type of shit is this? That's often most people's reaction to abstract expressionist art. And that's fair enough. Um, Do I feel that way about it? No, I don't. Some of my favourite paintings are abstract expressionist paintings. To the point that I'm often embarrassed. My favourite painter... If, if, if someone was to say to me, who is your favourite painter? Some days I might say Robert Motherwell. And Robert Motherwell's paintings are very large paintings that are simply, usually brushstrokes of black and white that aren't paintings of anything, they're just shapes. And sometimes they can actually look look like a painter had a go at a wall. And didn't finish it. It's like if a painter went at a a white wall with black paint and went on their lunch break. Sometimes that's what a Robert Motherwell painting can look like. So that's why I'm nearly embarrassed saying to people that this is my favourite painter. Because to the untrained eye it, it looks like a pile of shit. So to, in order to understand. Like the first look I... That, I found out about Robert Motherwell's paintings because when I was about 12, 13, I had an older brother who was into painting and I used to open up his books and I saw Robert Motherwell's paintings in it and it just spoke to me. I don't know what it was. I liked it. I first saw Robert Motherwell in real life probably when I did my first gig in New York around 2010. And when I was in its presence in the gallery, I did cry. I started crying. Now, mainly because I've been looking at this thing in books all my life and here I am beside a Robert Motherwell so there was all that baggage along with it but it it emotionally it, it brought some heavy emotions on me 
so did the paintings of Mark Rocco when I was present in their presence. And to explain abstract expressionist painting, the best way to do it is I'll, to look at its lineage, right? So you've heard of impressionist painting. Impressionist painting is from about 1860 onwards. You're talking Manet, right? Manet is a fairly well-known painter. His paintings are visually aesthetic. You don't have to know about painting to appreciate a Manet. It, it's in your face, visually beautiful. Manet used to paint water lilies and trees and nature. And Manet was an impressionist. What is impressionism? Impressionism was basically... I, now, I did a podcast on this as well, a full podcast. can't remember the name, but I did a full impressionist podcast. To make it as simple and as basic as possible... Impressionism, I believe, is the start of the movement known as modernism, which is when art started to move away from kind of religion and move towards science because impressionism embraced the new science of optics, which is how biology understands how the eye works. So impressionism embraced that. It was also a product of the Industrial Revolution. Impressionism, as a painting, was a response to the brand new invention of the camera, Painting had existed for hundreds of years. If you wanted to represent on a two-dimensional space a fucking horse or a field or a lovely sky or a person, you had to get a painter to do it. There was no cameras. Then all of a sudden, this new invention, Industrial Revolution, comes along in 1860 called a camera, which can capture fucking reality in two-dimensional space. This presents the act of the art of painting with a challenge. Why is painting relevant now? We have cameras. So, Impressionism came out of this for two reasons. Number one, when Impressionism came about, people like Manet, actual paints, oil paints used to be a lot of hassle. Painters used to make them themselves and they were bulky and they'd rarely leave their studios. With the Industrial Revolution around 1860, paints, oil paint became available in tubes for the first time and it became portable so painters were able to paint outside in a field with an easel which hadn't really been done before so painting was left with this challenge of what can painting do that photographs can't so the impressionists tried to create an impression of reality if you take a photograph of a tree that photograph will it will exactly capture what's there in front of you in a very cold, exact representation of reality. But that's that's a, a robot, that's a machine's lived reality of observing a tree. A camera is a machine. It has no feelings, it has no emotions. A camera has no opinions about a tree. It has no relationship with a tree. It simply records the information of a tree in a mechanical facsimile of an eye. When you as a human sit in front of a tree, you're not just coldly looking at a tree like a camera does. You have opinions about the tree. You can smell the tree. 
you can wonder what the tree was like when it was younger. You can wonder the health of the tree. You can wonder if the tree is going to die. You can say to yourself, I might like to sit under that tree. You experience and feel emotions in the moment and the tree consolidates into your memory. If this is a particularly beautiful tree, the tree will stick in your memory and once you walk away from that tree and you close your eyes and you think about the tree, what you're left with in your mind is an impression of that tree. It's not as exact and as perfect as a camera, but in your mind's eye, you have this little photograph of the tree, but it's not just visual information. It's the smell of the tree, it's your feelings about the tree, it's your emotions about the tree. It's inaccurate, but at the same time it's, it has greater depth and richness than a simple photograph of a tree. When Impressionism tried to do this, Impressionism was like, well fuck the camera, the camera can take a photograph of the tree like a cold robot, but I'm going to paint my impression of this tree. I'm going to exaggerate the... First off, I'm going to literally try and capture light as the human eye sees it. Okay? Cameras can't do that. A camera can't capture light the way the human eye can. A painting can, but a camera can't. Even today, it can't. I'm going to capture how the human eye receives the light of this tree. And I'm also going to... Include some of the emotional resonance that this tree has to create an impression of this tree. So when you walk into a gallery and you see a photograph of a tree and then Monet's painting of a tree. Which one are you going to care more about? Monet's fucking painting. Monet's painting will have a very fascinating magic about it. And the genius of Monet was that he was able to capture not just a fucking tree, but the feeling of treeness. The feeling, he was able to capture what memories of beautiful trees felt like. And that was Impressionism. And then after Impressionism came Expressionism, where the Expressionist said... I like this business where Monet and the Impressionists were getting impressions of trees. I want to go one further. I just want to isolate the emotional feeling of the tree. A classic example for me there would be Piet Mondrian. Mondrian is one of the fathers of abstraction. Mondrian has paintings of trees where... They're really distorted trees and they're broken down. He's removing information from the tree and breaking it down into a like a distant memory of what the tree would look like. So look up Piet Mondrian's trees and you'll see with Mondrian's painting of a tree, there's an economy of information. Only you, you see branches, it's, it doesn't look like, it, it looks like a tree, but it's not a tree and it's almost like the skeleton of a tree, or like a tree if a fucking six-year-old described it to you. And if you look at Mondrian's later paintings, in particular one called Broadway Boogie Woogie, which was from about 1920, it's just yellow. This is a very famous painting, so you've definitely seen this. It's just very perfect yellow, 
red and white squares with black borders. And if you look at Mondrian's painting expressionist, not impressionist, expressionist painting of a tree, and then look at his later abstract work, where it's just squares, you can now see the lineage between impressionism to expressionism to abstraction. But expressionism was about, I'm not really even, I'm not that interested in painting what this tree looks at, looks like. What I'm interested in is painting what this tree feels like. I want to use paint as a language which expresses my feelings about this tree. And that's what expressionism is. And then abstraction is about removing that tree from reality altogether. Abstract expressionism, which started around, we'll say that the, the, the 1940s onwards, and it's identified as, a, as an American painting movement. Abstract expressionism is the mixture of expressionism and abstraction, whereby the goal of the painter is to literally paint feelings. And I know that sounds mad, but abstract expressionism is an attempt to paint feelings. And it was modernist because it was very much hugely influenced by James Joyce. Hugely influenced by the, the, the Irish writer James Joyce, who was the a modernist writer. Some say is the father of modernist writing. So hugely influenced by James Joyce. Joyce was a modernist writer because he was looking at... New, the, the new science of psychology and the work of Sigmund Freud fucking James Joyce was looking at Sigmund Freud's work and Sigmund Freud's understanding of how words are formed in the unconscious mind and to make it really basic that's how Joyce was trying to write James Joyce when he when James Joyce was writing stories like Ulysses Joyce is not writing words as they come out of a character's mouth he's writing words as they form in the character's mind before they leave the character's mouth. Influenced by this new concept of the unconscious mind that you see with Freud and Jung. And that's what makes the work of James Joyce modernist. But you can see there, there's a parallel with Joyce's writing and expressionism. So if Joyce is writing not words that come out of people's mouths, but how the words are formed in their minds before they come out of their mouths... The expressionists are not painting trees, but they're painting the feeling of a tree. And then the abstract cunts are... The abstraction is like Joyce. They're, the abstraction, they're not even interested in fucking trees. They're interested in what a tree... They're almost interested in the pre-conscious notion of a tree. I know this is getting really fucking complicated, but this, this is what art is, is, is concerned with, right? So the abstract expressionists were trying to paint emotion. And they wouldn't say, here's my painting of anger. Here's my painting of sadness. They were trying to... They borrowed as well from the surrealist movement, the surrealist being the likes of Salvador Dali and that. Abstract expressionism as well is heavily rooted in surrealism, which you can trace back to Dada. They were interested in... Surrealism was influenced hugely again by the work of Sigmund Freud. The unconscious mind. Writing, painting unconsciously. Painting without thinking. Painting from a place of pure... 
passionate emotion. So that's what abstract expressionism is. To take it back to why would I be in the presence of a Robert Motherwell painting and feel like crying? The only thing I can compare it to is music. Abstract expressionism, the, the closest analogue to abstract expressionism is jazz music. Jazz music is quite similar. But if someone says to me, blind by that Robert Motherwell painting up there on the wall, which to me is just lumps of black and white, and you're telling me that's one of your favourite paintings and it's making you want to cry. Why the fuck? Like, you're lying to sound cool. That's usually what's said to me. And I've struggled with it for years. And how I, how I, I think the best way to explain it is we struggle when it's visual information, when it's a painting of a blob on a canvas, it's easy to look at it and go, that's fucking stupid. But when you, but with music, it's not. Like, music is pure abstraction. A painting of, you know, that's supposed to elicit emotion. You you can scrutinise that easily. It's visual information. It's, it's, you can go, nah, fuck it, man, it's a blob. Music is symmetrical vibrations of air that make us feel certain emotions. Now, that, to me, is utterly bizarre. Like, music is technically mathematics having fun. When you hear a piano piece or, or some piece of instrumental, let's, let's, let's not have lyrics involved. When you hear a piece of classical music or jazz music or whatever the fuck, and no lyrics in it, it's just music. And you're like, what the fuck is this? And it's making you feel sad. It's making you feel happy. It's making you feel like you want to dance. It's making you think of a time when you were in love. And what's doing this are vibrations of air that happen to be symmetrical. Which means that the music, the music is a painting in the air that you can't see. Instead, your ears feel it and process it into the brain as emotion. That's fucking mad. That's far more complicated than a Robert Motherwell painting. Far more complicated. But it's the same shit. It's the same thing. So, with abstract expressionism, what I'm sensitive to when I'm enjoying an abstract expressionist painting is certain marks and certain ways the paint is used, and that's all I can say, certain ways that the paint is used elicit strong emotions in me. It's not just black on white, it's the type of white, it's the type of black, it's how they interact together, it's how the marks are made, elicits emotion, it's how they're layered, and it's visual music. That's all I can say. I can't tell you why a minor chord makes me feel sad, and I can't tell you why a major chord makes me feel happy, And I can't tell you why a major seventh chord feels kind of ironic and funny. I can't tell you these things, but I can feel them. And if you heard them too, you'd feel them and know what I'm talking about. Abstract painting is that. There's certain marks on abstract paintings that can elicit emotions. 
to those that are sensitive to him. I believe I'm sensitive to it because I paint myself. I haven't done it in fucking years, but when I was a teenager, I used to oil paint and I used to I used to do a lot of painting. So because I myself understood the action and feeling of oil paint and scraping on a canvas and understood mark making, it allowed me uh, the sensitivity to empathize with paint on a canvas. So that's the easiest way for me to justify why I like abstract expressionism and to explain to you what is abstract expressionism. It's, it's quite a radical type of art, type of painting, which attempted to paint emotions. That's the simplest way of putting it. It was radical and avant-garde, but it's, it's not as radical and avant-garde as we'll say. Abstract expressionism is mostly an American movement of the 1950s. They, a lot of them weren't Yanks. They were... A lot of them were Jewish people from, like, Lithuania, um, Poland. People who escaped after World War II and moved to America. Okay? Because they were persecuted, because they were Jewish, or maybe if they were living in what became the Soviet Union, they didn't want to live under communism, they preferred capitalism in America... But abstract expressionism tends to be kind of old, lefty, left-leaning socialist, but maybe not full-on Soviet artists in the 1950s in America. And it was radical, but like not as radical as Soviet participatory art. With abstract expressionism, you still have a gallery, an artist that's revered like a god, and a painting on a wall which you can buy. So it, it's operates happily within structures of capitalism and that's why it fucking thrived in america and that's the story i want to tell you this week on this podcast and that's the hot take i want before i do this i'm going to do the ocarina pause where you may or may not hear an advert uh, a generic advert for a product or possibly even me begrudgingly reading out an ad for a product but anyway here's the ocarina pause i've got the blue ceramic ocarina this week Oh, that's beautiful. So that was the Ocarina pause. I'd also like to remind you... The support for this podcast comes from the patrons. This podcast, as a result of world events and the coronavirus, is my sole source of income... Uh, so there's a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast, where if you're listening to this podcast and you're enjoying it, you can give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month uh, to pay me for my work, essentially. There's a lot of work goes into this podcast. Um, now, I really need it at the moment, obviously, because this is my sole source of income. So please do, if you're in a position to do it, please do contribute to the Patreon page. It makes a massive difference to my fucking life. It pays my way. Um, also as well, and I announced this this week, a new thing I'm doing. Once a month. Now I'm changing the terms a little bit, right? So last week I said what I'm going to do from now on as a, as a reward. I'm particularly thankful to the people who've become patrons in the past two months. Because like I said, they're saving my fucking bacon. So I was like, I'm going to pick a new patron each month and give them... 
a drawing. I, I'm going to do hand drawings like I do in my books. I'm going to do a fucking drawing, a one-of-a-kind hand drawing, and I'm going to send it to one person at random who is a patron of the podcast. I'm going to contact them, get their address, and I'll send it in the post, and you will have a one-of-a-kind drawing that I make for you. I was going to do it to just new patrons, and then I thought, no, fuck it, that's not very fair to people who've been patrons for ages. So I'm just going to pick a random patron, right, regardless of when you joined. I'm just going to pick a random patron, one a month, and you're going to get sent a piece of art that I created in the post with a little note, and I'll sign it as well. As a thank you, because I really have to give massive fucking thanks to the patrons at this time of the podcast. Um, you're making I can sleep at night. Just thank you so much. All right. So moving on. Oh yeah, like and subscribe and share and tell your friends about the podcast. All that shit as well. And I'm on Twitch now as well. Twitch.com. No, Twitch.tv forward slash the Blind Boy Podcast. I'll be fully up and running in about two weeks. Right now, I'm still testing, but even the even the test streams are good crack. To be honest. People seem to be enjoying them, so there you go. Subscribe and follow there or whatever the fuck you do. So back to American Abstract Expressionist painting of the 1950s. And why I'm trying to make the case and argument that it's the antithesis of Soviet painting, which Soviet painting had its its radical roots, not just Soviet painting, so Soviet art, Soviet art had its radical roots in the participatory art movement with its, you know, it came from futurism and Dada and at the time of the Russian Revolution had radical roots but by 1950 Soviet art wasn't Soviet by by which I mean, look, the, the communist art of the Soviet Union Russia right? Not, no, not Russia, the Soviet Union which is a, an area that doesn't exist anymore which encapsulated Poland and Lithuania and all these countries after World War Two. So, by 1950, Soviet art in Soviet countries, it wasn't these grand theatrical participatory plays that it would have been around 1920. It was much more state-sponsored art that served as propaganda. Um, painting, there were strict rules around what was acceptable painting in the Soviet Union around 1950 and the strict rules were the painting had to be realistic it had to portray Russian workers doing their fucking jobs going to work and doing everything to benefit the state and to be good communists Russian painting by 1950 was propaganda by state sponsored artists who really had very little creativity it was a very restricted art form if you want to see, you know, the paintings that are in North Korea right now, paintings of Kim Jong-un, you know, um, used as as an oppressive kind of regime to create a cult of personality around a leader and to keep people in control. So this is what Soviet art was by 1950, even though it did have incredibly radical avant-garde roots. In America, at the same time, what you had was American abstract expressionism which is very different to Soviet Soviet art. There's no realism. It doesn't appear to have any purpose. It's all over the place. It's chaotic. 
what's also worth noting about American abstract expressionism Soviet art you know it wasn't about selling it it wasn't about making money the t- 10 of the most expensive paintings of all time something like 6 of them are, are American abstract expressionist paintings uh, number number 17A which is a painting by Jackson Pollock 200 million that sold for there's a uh, Mark Rothko painting for 186 million a Willem de Kooning painting for 200 million it's very much overrepresented in paintings. The most expensive paintings were paintings from the 1950s in America. More, more expensive than Picasso's. More expensive than fucking Manet's. And you got to ask yourself, why is this? How did that happen? Are they really worth that much? How, how did this come about? So we have to contextualize all of this within the Cold War. If you don't know what the Cold War was, it wasn't a war. It was an era of unrest after World War Two. So, very basic, World War Two. The Russians and the Americans closed in on Berlin at the same time to kill fucking Hitler. And they were allies and then shit got fucked up. And the world became divided into East and West communism versus capitalism the soviet union and the east represented the huge force of communism and socialism and the united states represented capitalism and democracy and money individualism versus collectivism right and this was the cold war it was a period of about jesus said about 70 years was it 60 years We'll say it started in 1945 and ended in 1990. So over 50 years of an ideological battle where proxy wars were fought, but the the Soviet Union and the United States at all times could have gone to, to war, could have had nuclear war, and because nuclear war would have ended the world, it could never happen. So the war was fought... You know, through things like the Korean War, the Vietnam War, loads of these smaller conflicts, but also a huge ideological war. And that's that's this is where American abstract expressionism has its roots, why it's important, and why I believe it to be the antithesis of Soviet art. So there was a culture war going on where in the Soviet Union there would have been quite a lot of propaganda against capitalist America. The propaganda, the gist of it would have been, you're all here in Russia and you're all here part of the, you know, you're for the benefit of of the state and everyone has a house and everyone has food and you don't want for nothing and you're not greedy pigs like the Americans. You're all working together as brothers and sisters for the state this is communism so that was the propaganda that was in Russia and it was anti-American and it's America's evil America's bourgeois they just care about money there's a load of rich people and a load of poor people at least you all have equality here and they used to say about when the average Soviet person would be like but I want Coca-Cola I want a big American car I want the things that they have the Russians would say well, the Americans, all they have is McDonald's and cars, but they've no fucking culture. They've no art. They've no culture. They're soulless. 
they're soulless evil devils who only have possessions. They don't have the wonderful great meaning of the Soviet motherland that ye have. They don't have emotionally rich lives. So this would have been this propaganda. America is a sterile capitalist place that only cares about money and they wouldn't know fucking art if, from their arse to, from their elbow. They know fuck all about art and they don't have any. They've no culture over there. Just money. So America wanted to counteract this as part of an ideological war and America really needed America needed to show that because America at the end of the day is an incredibly capitalistic country where money was the only thing that matters. Money reigns supreme. There's very strict and blatant hierarchical structures around race and money and privilege and America doesn't like to admit it but that's capitalism. And when Russia used to say they might have cars but they don't have culture that was quite damaging. So the Yanks wanted to fight back against this image and show Hold on a second, Soviets. Yes, we do have fucking culture, and it's better than years. And what they chose to promote was abstract expressionism. Also jazz music, but that's a separate podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty naming and labelling my emotions identifying my emotions I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online if online therapy is something you might be interested in Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/blindboy today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash blind boy. But the American government chose abstract expressionism because these were young, they weren't American born artists. Like I said, these were like a lot of them ex-socialists, ex-communists, uh, Jewish people who left in exile from 
Soviet places in Europe to find a new life in the, in, in America. But they, they would have had the lineage of Dada and Surrealism. And they were now making art in America in the 1950s, centred around New York specifically, and making this really exciting style of painting known as American Abstract Expressionist Art. Abstract Expressionist Art, it was branded as American. But the American government were like, look at this, this is class and new, and we need to promote this new type of abstract expressionism because it's ours, it's American, same way they did it with jazz music, and it's not Russian. But also remember that America is a deeply conservative, sometimes backwards, right-wing country. So why would the American establishment want to see the incredibly difficult, complicated paintings by all these European Jewish people and ex-communists? Why would they possibly want to embrace these people who were very left-leaning in their ideals who would have been seen as lazy dropout artists and not actually encapsulating American ideals why would the US government want to support and promote the art of these people well at the start they fucking didn't so in 1946 this huge government US government funded exhibition was created and it was called Advancing American Art and I can't remember Robert Motherwell was one of the painters who was included in this and Georgia O'Keeffe both legends in abstract expressionism were chosen to be part of this state funded American abstract art exhibition and the purpose of the exhibition was that it was going to be toured all around Europe and Latin America as a US government funded attempt at exporting American art and not just exporting like music or or fucking TV it it was like no 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 because the centre of art at this time you have to remember would have been Paris art, fine art was a European thing and America had an image problem America was seen as this young, foolish country with more money than sense. Like, America's the country... Like, about 20 years before that, or possibly more, like, a rich yank bought the original London Bridge and brought it over brick by brick to America. And a a law had to be brought in that was like, the Yanks are going to buy up European castles and, and try and implant them in America if we don't stop them. So laws were brought in. America was seen as a new young country where they've more money than sense and they don't have culture, intellect, identity or history. This was the view of America, not just by the Soviets but by all of Europe. There was a, a, a snobbishness. So even in Paris, no one gave a roar and fuck about American art. It's like, what the fuck could those Yanks have to say? They're all stupid pricks. So the purpose of Advancing American Art Exhibition 1946 was to tour this all around the world as an image and propaganda exercise to say to Europe and to say to the Soviets, we've got art, lads. We've got culture and we've got art and it's the best. It's the most forward-thinking shit going. 
and it was getting on grand. And then what happens is that a congressman, a U.S. congressman called, called George Dondero, went fucking apeshit. Because George Dondero was like, okay, the U.S. government's after putting aside a couple of million dollars to take these ridiculous looking paintings and move them all around the world. And what Dondero did is he decided for the crack to look up the history of abstract art and the lineage of the abstract artists in America and where they come from. And he started reading about Dada, about surrealism. He started to read about futurism. And he, while tracing the lineage of these artists, where does it take you? It takes you to radical political thinkers. It takes you to, you know, you, you if you want to trace American abstract expressionism back to futurism, which you absolutely can, you get fascism. If you want to trace it back to the Russian fucking revolution or, or Russian suprematism, which is also a lineage of, of fucking American abstract expressionist painting, you get communism and socialism. So... They weren't pretty paintings anymore now. This congressman, George Dondero, was like, hold on a minute. These painters from New York, and you're presenting this as American art, they're a bunch of commies and Jews who you can trace the roots of what they're doing back to fucking fascism and socialism and all this shit. Why the fuck? And then he had this huge big campaign. Your tax dollars are paying for this exhibition to go all around the world. And then what happened is, in America in the 50s, now bear in mind, this is the Cold War, so it's a huge ideological war against the Soviets and against communism. There was a fella called Senator McCarthy, Irish name, unfortunately, the biggest cunts in America, always have fucking Irish names. There was a fella called Senator McCarthy who was a a rabid anti-communist. The phrase McCarthyism comes from him, right? And within the culture that McCarthy operated in, this huge anti-communist culture, there was a thing called the House on House of Un-American Activities, right? Which was like this, I don't know what you'd call it, like a tribunal or something. It was a government-run American tribunal where they would investigate private American citizens or businesses who they suspected of being communists. And it was pure witch hunt fucking Spanish Inquisition shit. Really humiliating and embarrassing. So if somebody in America was suspected in the 1950s of having any ties or beliefs that are socialist, that are communist, or fascist, fascism fair enough, but anyone who was socialist, you kind of ratted them out and then this person had to appear before the House of Un-American Activities and they were grilled and quizzed on their beliefs and whether or not they were fucking sensitive to the Soviet Union because they were deemed to be a threat to the United States or possibly a spy. So it was taken very seriously. So what happened was, because this George Dondero had done his art history and looked at the radical roots of abstract expressionism, it got in front of the House of Un-American Activities and a lot of the fucking artists were called up and their paintings, their abstract paintings were being analysed by this committee and one person was asked like this is like brushstrokes on a fucking canvas like it, like, <clears throat> like I said the important this really highlighted the poverty 
of cultural knowledge in America at the time. The whole significance and importance of an abstract painting is that it's non-representational. The markings on the canvas of this painting don't represent something that's in, in real life. The symbols don't mean anything. It's, it's trying to paint a fucking emotion. So you can't look at an abstract expressionist painting and say, <clears throat> I think I see a duck. I think the artist has painted a duck. That's not what it's about. If you see a duck, that's you seeing it. But the artist didn't want the duck in there. They're trying to paint an emotion. So artists had to... American artists had to take their, their abstract paintings and present them to this House of Un-American Committee uh, or Un-American Activities and they were being asked questions like they, they'd hone in on small areas of the artist's painting little flicks of paint and they'd ask the artist is this flick of paint the sickle and hammer of the communist Soviet flag or one of the most ridiculous ones is I believe they got I'm nearly sure it was either Arshil Gorky or fucking Jackson Pollock but some painter I'm gonna say it was Jackson Pollock right I could be wrong Jackson Pollock was an abstract expressionist painter who was famous for literally splattering paint on the canvas not even using a brush he would action painting he called it very similar to extreme stream of com- consciousness painting no no thought or thinking splashing the paint on the canvas to capture the his own emotions in the moment so the house of one american activities had looked at a jackson pollock painting <clears throat> and one of them said this looks like you know if you look at this painting from a certain angle it actually looks like a map because it does if you look at a pollock painting and then look at, we'll say, a map of mountains or countryside, you can draw a visual analogue between the two. So the fucking House of Un-American Activities decided that Jackson Pollock's paintings were actually maps. Because what they were very paranoid about at the time, okay, so this is 1946, only a couple of years after World War II. Both Russia and America have nuclear bombs, they hadn't developed intercontinental ballistic missiles yet, so they didn't they didn't have the policy of what's known as mutually assured destruction, whereby we have a bunch of nuclear missiles and so do ye and we launch them all at once. If you attack us, we can attack ye and everyone dies. This didn't exist in the late forties. They were both worried about who would make the first strike. Who would fly their planes over and obliterate America and Russia wins? This was in the early stages of the Cold War. This was a real fear. Someone could win a nuclear war. And what they were terrified of was Russian spy planes. They were terrified of weather balloons that were spying. Basically high altitude planes that would take photographs of America and point out where strategic military bases were. And the Yanks were terrified of Russian spies gaining this information. So this House of Un-American Activities looked at the paintings of Jackson Pollock and decided that Pollock's paintings were actually uh, visual encrypted codes that had maps of strategic American bases and that Pollock's paintings were a way for him to let the Russians know where they could bomb in America because there's maps hidden in the paintings. And that's the level of 
madness you're dealing with there and these are just fucking it's just art so what happened is this exhibition in 1946 immediately got pulled the average american person said what the fuck why are you funding these commies who are painting maps to show the russians how to bomb us why are you funding them and then calling it american art and showing it to the world not with my tax dollars buddy so they shut it down immediately and one of the great ironies the US government was left now with fucking a hundred paintings on their hands <clears throat> and they sold like Robert Motherwell paintings and Georgia O'Keeffe paintings for like $20 just sold them off getting the fucking rid of them so American Abstract Expressionist painting by 1950 is off to a very rocky start like this congressman George Dondero fella like he believed that this idea of taking these young American artists and showing them around the world that because their paintings were in his eyes so hideous and distorted and strange that he believed that quote it was to tell the foreigners that the American people are despondent, broken down or of hideous shape he believed that this would be the ideological, ideological message that it would send the world about America to showcase these artists to Europe but this is where it gets really fucking interesting so America's odd the way it operates Congress had, uh, Congress and the American public had rejected these paintings rejected these artists and at the height of anti-communism had said these are communist lefty layabout fuckwits who are trying to get us all killed and give a fuck about this art and don't use my ta- tax dollars. That's the attitude of Congress and the American people. But America's weird. America has got very shadowy and secret organisations like the CIA who don't operate in the interest of Congress or in the interest of even the President. The CIA are Machiavellian and they do what they believe is in the interest of the dollar ultimately regardless of morality and what congress had failed you know by congress saying these lazy fucks with their ugly paintings are communistic what they had failed to notice and what they were kind of what was kind of silly is what abstract expressionism had and what made it appealing is that it was the exact opposite of Soviet art at the time okay the exact the polar fucking opposite and taking it back to my podcast a couple a couple of podcasts ago pottage something whatever the fuck it was forgotten pottage where I spoke about the radical Soviet roots of wh- how in the Soviet Union right the Russian Revolution 1917 onwards there had been a deliberate attempt by the state to use participatory art okay blur the line between artist art and audience get everyone participating as a way to condition society into collectivist communistic thinking right this was the roots of russian soviet art by 1950 it had stopped being that now art was state sanctioned and it was propaganda art the soviet congress in 1934 Right, which was Stalin had four rules for what what art had to be. Okay? So under Stalin, art had to be number one, 
proletarian. Proletarian means the, the working class, the worker. Art relevant to the workers and understandable to them. Simple, visual, a painting of a man in a field and the sun is shining on him and he's digging up potatoes and his family are happy. Number two, it had to be typical. Art had to represent scenes of everyday life of the people. It had to be realistic. The art had to be representational. If you painted a pig, it better fucking look like a pig. Number four, it had to be partisan. The art had to be supportive of the aims of the state and the party. So this was straight up Soviet fucking... Gone are the roots of Soviet art, which come from this wonderful avant-garde deconstruction of what fucking art is. It's like, fuck paintings. Art becomes the act of participation, which is incredibly radical and deconstructs capitalism. By 1934, under Stalin, art was just whatever the fuck Joseph Stalin. It's like, draw pretty paintings of people working hard and make me look class. That was Soviet Stalinist art, which if you're an artist in Soviet Russia, living under that, you'd be like, fuck that, man. I'm an artist. I want to explore my innermost feelings. I want to express myself. I'm looking for expressionism, not representationism. Not rep- not representation of an idealised version of what the state should be. So you had a lot of people fleeing. Getting the fuck, if they could, trying to get out of Soviet Russia so they can go and express themselves. So, what's the exact opposite of those four rules that Stalin had created for what art must be fucking abstract expressionism American abstract expressionism American abstract like rule number one art relevant to the workers and understandable to them there's nothing understandable about abstract it's fucking a blob of paint on a canvas number two it has to be typical scenes of everyday life of the people abstract expressionism is not that it's marks of paint on a canvas that represent incredibly abstract themes. That's interested in psychoanalysis, that's interested in Freud, that's trying to paint emotions. Three, it had to be realistic in the representational sense. It's not representational, it's abstract. Abstract is the literal, in artistic language, the literal opposite to representational art is abstract. It had to be partisan. It had to be supportive of the aims of the state and the party. Now that's the interesting one. That's the interesting one. Because abstract art, you you know, when you're looking at essentially marks of paint on a canvas and it's not a painting of anything other than emotions, it's pure abstraction. And you look at that and you say, well, this, this, this certainly isn't political. How can this painting, these blobs on a canvas, be political? But, in a sense, American abstract art, unintentionally, that was partisan. So if in Soviet Russia, your paintings represented the worker in the field, working hard and feeding their family and smiling Joseph Stalin up in the clouds, which is explicitly representationally partisan. Abstract expressionism very much represented... The American dream. Okay? And the fucking CIA recognised this. The American Congress didn't. But the fucking CIA did. So let's look 
I'm going to take the example of Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock was an American abstract expressionist painter of the 1950s. And I mentioned him earlier. Literally what Jackson Pollock used to do is he would have a big massive canvas. He would have 20 bottles of paint and he would literally throw the paint at the canvas. The archetype of the mad artist is Jackson Pollock throwing paint at a canvas with no care or thought in the world. No rules. Jackson Pollock's paintings represented the ideological ideals of the American dream. It represented freedom, democracy. So in Russia, if you're an artist in Russia and their cultural output is like you got to obey these fucking rules, you got to draw a pig as a pig is, and the pig better be saying something sound about Stalin. And then you have Jackson Pollock going, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want, buddy, because I'm American and I'm free. So, American abstract expressionist painting came to represent the ideology of American freedom, democracy, manifest destiny, frontierism. The canvas was the a great American frontier to be explored. Whatever way you choose, create your own path, splash the canvas down. The world is yours. You're free to do whatever the fuck you want because this is America. That's what these splattered uh, fucking marks of paint on canvases came to represent ideologically. And the CIA spotted this. Now, this is not conspiracy. No, it is conspiracy. And in the 1950s, this was straight up secret, covert, anti-fucking-communist, Cold War, CIA conspiracy. But now, in 2020, when you have access to documents, it's fact. Abstract expressionism was rejected by the American Congress as seen as being commie bullshit. The CIA said, no, it's not, lads, but we're not going to say shit. And Donald Jameson, who's a former CIA agent, I've got a quote from him here. He literally said, he goes, We recognise that this abstract expressionism was the kind of art that did not have anything to do with socialist realism. Moscow in those days was very vicious in its denunciation of any kind of non-conformity. So one could quite adequately and accurately reason that anything they criticised that much and that heavy-handedly was worth support in one way or another. So, if you would have attempted an abstract painting in Soviet Russia, you'd have been fucked off to the gulag. Because that's threatening to an authoritarian system. Why is this... Who the fuck is this cunt with his ten tins of paint flipping it all over the canvas? Why isn't he working in the factory? So it was suppressed in Russia, so the Yanks were like, well, we better promote it then. And the CIA fucking did it. But as I mentioned, because Congress had denounced this type of art, the CIA had to do it covertly. So, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, like nowadays the CIA have a company called InQtel, which they fund, and the money comes from the CIA, and they fund many different, mainly data gathering stuff now. But in the 1950s, the CIA were using uh, shell companies and deep state money Is deep state money the right word? Black budget money from the government. And they were funding the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Now the thing is... 
The Museum of Modern Art in New York, the people, the curators, they don't know where the fucking money is coming from. The CIA are able to fund things six companies removed so that no one knows where the money is fucking coming from. So the mad thing is, is that these abstract expressionist painters, they would have been very anti-CIA. They would have been anti-war. They would have been socialist, if not communist. They would have been anti-state. They didn't know that they were being funded by the fucking CIA, but they were. The CIA put a lot of money into the Museum of Modern Art in New York, specifically to fund and promote American abstract expressionist art. To promote this mad, crazy type of painting where the artist has utter emotional freedom. It's greedy. It turns what is a sensitive type of art about exploring emotions into hedonistic excess. Pollock's paintings now are, are orgies of paint. It's him doing a bukkake on a canvas. It's the orgy of American excess on a fucking canvas. That's what it is now. And the philosophy is removed. It becomes something new. It becomes something ugly with this new information. So the CIA funding took the shape of... Uh, I think one of the Rockefellers or something was on the board of the Museum of Modern Art. They managed to get the funding in there and the purpose of the money was for that the Museum of Modern Art would heavily invest in buying up all these American abstract expressionist paintings and and supporting these painters and to fund and to encourage the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA, to lend these paintings to European museums. So, like in 1946, when the US government publicly and upfront were like, look at these new class American expressionist painters, we want to show them to the world, to show Europe that America isn't just a dumb young country with no culture, that we have our own art. That was shut down by Congress because they believed it to be communist. They're doing the same thing again six years later, except now it looks radical. It's the Museum of Modern Art that are loaning them out. It looks like it's it's driving itself. It's no longer state-sponsored, publicly state-sponsored American art. It's doing its own thing. And to be perfectly honest, the fact that the House on American Activities had denounced abstract expressionist art that's like this really hip, cool stamp of approval. That now makes this art appear dangerous. And that's one of the things... One of the things that... And I, 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 there's another podcast on how MI5 did this with uh, Af, Af, Afro-Caribbean magazines in the UK, how MI5 funded them. That's a separate podcast. But intelligence agencies within capitalist democracies like Britain and America you're kind of stepping back wondering why the fuck would the CIA you think of the CIA as assassinating fucking people going trying to kill Fidel Castro and it's like yeah they do that but they also have a shit ton of money for propaganda and why the fuck do the CIA want to fund these artists painting canvases obviously there's the first one I mentioned whereby it directly challenges the Soviets and shows Europe that America has culture. But what it also does is 
when you live when you live in a democracy, right? When you live in America, with, and and the ideology of America is democracy, which is you have got unlimited freedom. That's the ideology. You have got freedom, right? You don't really have freedom in America. You don't. You've got freedom if you have enough money. But if you don't have the money, you don't have freedom. Talk to anyone with no health care. So this freedom business in America, you don't have freedom if you're a person of colour and you're discriminated against and your life, you, ringing the police might mean getting shot dead if you're black. So I'm sorry, but no, you don't have freedom in America. You have, there is a lip service and the ideology of freedom and democracy is a cornerstone of what America is, but it's not real. And the CIA put huge amounts of money into promoting the illusion of freedom to the average person. So they will sometimes consciously and deliberately fund things which are symbolically and harmlessly subversive. And what I mean by that is, this is 1952. In 1946, abstract expressionism was denounced as communist by the House of Un-American Activities. It was blacklisted. It was said, this is the work of commies. Their paintings are trying to tell the Russians where to bomb. Right? So, Congress says, this, ban it. But yes, four years later, the Museum of Modern Art has got all these commie paintings that you can walk in and see and they're being sold. What, what does that say? It's like, holy moly, look at this dangerous commie art. This is so subversive and dangerous. But we live in America. We don't ban things in this country. We live in a free country where even if you're a dirty commie painter, you still have the freedom and ex- uh, to express your views, buddy, because this is America. You have freedom of speech. So when you fund something that appears subversive paintings aren't going to do shit like if you want subversive the black panthers that's fucking subversive that's actual black people in america activists saying do you know what it says in the constitution that i can have a gun to defend myself so i think i will that gets fucking shut down the cia aren't supporting that but they will support a bunch of white people painting with the illusion of this middle class subversion when it's not really it's not it, it's it's the idea of it is subversive but it, they're just fucking paintings on a wall so the CIA will fund things that appear to be subversive to create the illusion of freedom congress says this is commie art yet it's on a wall in new york whoa freedom wow what an amazing country if this was russia the artists would be sent to gulag and they might be executed and the art would not be shown to anyone. That's the opposite of freedom. So it, it was a double-edged blade. It marketed America as, as a centre of culture and thought and art. And it presented the American people with the illusion of subversive art being permitted. And beautifully what it does is, as I mentioned, I, I read out the four conditions that Stalin had said that what, what state art must be. And number, f- I said, abstract expressionism is the complete opposite of all of it, except for number four. Number four, the art must be partisan. It must support the aims of the state and the party. Abstract expressionism does that. Abstract expressionism represents 
the unbridled freedom and excess of this is America, you can do whatever the fuck you want. And what it also did is, with because the CIA and the money was backing the Museum of Modern Art and backing these painters, people like fucking Motherwell and, and Pollock, who was a communist, they became multi, multi, multi-millionaires. It was all, like, if you look at the series Mad Men, you'll see that, like, sometimes in, in the office shots around the 60s, you'll actually, you'll see the odd Robert Motherwell painting. Because who was buying these paintings in America? Corporations. It was around the same time in America that art had been brought in, paintings, as, as a, a corporate write-off or as a way to avoid tax. That if you, as a corporation, were buying a certain amount of art and paintings, you weren't paying tax. It was all tied in and sewed in. So these abstract expressionist paintings, which have these noble beginnings as trying to paint emotions, became the most obnoxious tool of capitalism, where they moved out of galleries and became a giant blur of paint that are on the walls of corporate headquarters because the corporation paid 600 million for them and don't pay tax on it and it was a way it's a way to hide money that can't be taken away the like why the fuck how can you decide that a painting is worth 200 million quid is is the painting really worth that it is if it's being used as a way to launder money and not pay tax and shit like that then it is yeah I mean, the art world, the, the art world and, and auction, uh, auctioning and valuing a paintings, that has nothing to do with art. That's a completely separate system. But you can see the roots of it, all with this shit and the CIA funding the fucking abstract expressionists. And it does, it's, uh, it's fully promotes the ideals of, of American democracy, freedom, excess, money, do whatever you want here, buddy. That ideology, that's what it promotes. And now, abstract expressionism now, it's its the shit art that's on the walls of hotels. That's not even made by an artist, it's made by a machine with house paint. That's what abstract expressionism is now. Why is that? Because whoever was designing the hotels was obviously trying to copy corporate fucking lobbies from the 70s and 80s when they might actually have a Robert Motherwell up on the wall that's worth 60 million quid. Does any of this change how I feel about abstract expressionist art? Not necessarily, I view it as separate. In my podcast, Forgotten Pottage, where I spoke about the, the radical avant-garde roots of Soviet art, where they you know, encouraged participatory theatre, where they were breaking down the boundaries of art, I fully respect that. I think that's fucking amazing. The creativity there, the passion, I admire it and respect it as art. Do I respect Joseph Stalin and his very strict rules about what state art should be? Absolutely not. No, I don't. But I recognise that the roots are absolutely genius. I think Jordan Peterson collects old Soviet art. I think he, he does, as, as some type of ironic weird thing, he collects old Soviet art. But similarly, I did a podcast on Italian futurism. Futurism is is an incredibly vibrant, forward-thinking, avant-garde style of art, which unfortunately led to fascism. 
and I can separate futurism from fascism. I don't support fascism. I don't like where futurism went, but the early stages of futurism, um, how that went on to influence Dada, how it influenced surrealism, of course I can appreciate that because I'm an artist. I can still look at a Robert Motherwell painting. Robert Motherwell didn't know he was being funded by the fucking CIA. Jackson Pollock didn't. Georgia O'Keeffe didn't. The money was being kept far away. They were being used as puppets. Do I look at a Robert Motherwell painting and view it as this represents the democracy ideology of democracy and freedom and excess of America? I don't. I look at a Robert Motherwell painting the way Motherwell probably intended it. And he was someone who had a... He was a painter but also a doctor of philosophy who was a huge fan of James Joyce. And I appreciate it as a piece of art and it moves me to tears. And I appreciate the ma- the mark making on the canvas and his attempt at expressing his, his emotions on canvas. I don't give a fuck if it ended up in the corporate headquarters of a bank in 1960, you know? So that's all I can say. That was a big one, wasn't it? That's the, the contrast of American abstract expressionist art with Soviet art at the time how it was co-opted by the CIA and hopefully that wasn't too complex and that I sufficiently democratised it because there's a lot of big concepts in there especially we're not as a society educated about art and why art is important and I know all this shit because I studied fucking art for years and I care about it and I, when I studied this shit I want to democratise it I want to let people know this isn't complicated, we're just not given access to the information and it's not valued. I mean, I, another huge thing to mention is the toxicity that came out of this. We only view art uh, within terms of its monetary value. You know, the fact that Jackson Pollock can throw paint on a canvas and have it for 600 million quid. I'm much more excited by the early uh, Russian Revolution shit where they were like, get rid of the fucking art get rid of the artist and then you can't sell it because you can't sell a performance you can't sell participation which is truly radical because it breaks down capitalism um, abstract expressionism while it's beautiful it does it's, it's very much in the service of capitalism it's still here's a painting from a talented artist you stay behind that line and you can buy it if you have enough money Yeah, hopefully it was concise. Go back to some of my other art podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'll talk to you next week.